0: Chapter 7, In the Shadow of His Wings. As we practice the work of forgiveness, we discover more and more that forgiveness and healing are one. We find indeed that all forms of prayer fuse into a high consciousness of God. Thus, the break in the pipeline that connects us with God who is love is mended and the water of life fills us to the brim and overflows into our homes and workshops and churches. This inrush of God's Holy Spirit heals us naturally, but it does far more than that. Indeed, as we pursue the spiritual life, we lose sight of physical benefits in our increasing vision of God himself. We find after a while that we desire God more for his own sake than for ours. And as this comes to us, we begin to understand a little bit of that process by which the world will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. More and more, we seek the beginning within us of the manifestation of the sons of God who will walk the earth with power, accomplishing the works of him who sent them. More and more, surely, we know that the day of the Lord, when nation shall not rise up against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, can only be brought about by us, the children of light. So we learn to cure our diseased bodies by seeing, in our own flesh, God. And in the end, we offer up ourselves, both flesh and spirit, to God for his purpose, the bringing in of the kingdom of God on earth. In my flesh shall I see God, remarked a very wise man of ancient days. Could he have meant the literal perception of the light of God within the framework of flesh? Anyone who has seen an x-ray of his foot has seen his foot in a different light It is seen not as a solid and impenetrable thing covered with skin, but as a shape made up of light, the bones being merely a shadow in that light. But that is not the reality, we may say. Why not? We are seeing the foot illuminated by a greater light. Why may not that more intense light vibration show as true a reality as the naked eye can see. Science tells us that it does, for the body is mainly made not of matter, but of energy, open and penetrable to the various forces of the air. Sunlight penetrates the open spaces of the body. The vibrations of electric treatments can be sent through apparently solid flesh. The light of x-ray and radium shines through the body as easily as if it were made of light itself, as indeed it is. And above and beyond all these, a spiritual light vibration penetrates and fills every cell of the body. In other words, we are porous like a sponge and filled with God. As a sponge is in the ocean and the ocean is in a sponge, "'Rufus Mosley once said, "'so we are in God, and he is in us. "'Or as another wise man expressed it, "'in him we live and move and have our being. "'There is a parable concerning two little fishes "'who met a frog beneath a rock. "'Don't you know you're in great danger, little fishes?' "'croaked the frog. "'No!' cried the little fishes, much frightened. Don't you know fishes can't live without water, teased the cruel frog. You'd better find some water quickly or you'll die. The little fishes swam to their mother in great distress. Oh, mother, mother, the frog says if we don't find some water quickly, we'll die. Mother, what's water? I don't know, confessed the mother fish, who was an agnostic. I never heard anything about water. Let's go and ask the otter. Water, my dears, laughed the otter. Why, you live in water. That's what you breathe. We live in God. That's what we breathe. And this is so whether we know it or not. But we can absorb either more or less of his life force according to the receptivity of our spirits. Most of us have so closed down our spiritual gills that the very little of it flows through us and our flesh stagnates and hardens for lack of life. We call this process of stagnation and hardening old age. Sometimes this stagnating flesh decays more rapidly in one spot than in another or is attacked by parasitic growths as all stagnant matter is apt to be attacked. We call this sudden and rapid deterioration of life, illness. The remedy for all of this is more of life and light, and it is precisely the inflowing of more light and life that we receive through our health prayers and our acts of forgiveness. This spiritual life stimulates the circulation, relaxes the nerves, and releases the natural bodily energies. It also strengthens and invigorates the mind and causes the thinking to flow more quietly, strong in the peace which is the result, not of lessened activity, but of heightened activity. Moreover, it increases the spiritual perception so that we are aware of the workings of God not only in our bodies, but in the world around us. All of these results take place gradually, in the normal matter of growth. The inflow of life should be so free and powerful that a minor disorder such as a cold very quickly disappears. But the rebuilding of the body following a chronic disorder nearly always takes time and requires that combination of open-minded patience and unfaltering courage that the Bible calls meekness. I found this out by experimenting with a condition of my own that required corrective surgery. The operation has been performed gradually and imperceptibly by the redirecting of the creative forces of the body. My daily prayers for healing removed temporarily the aching and weariness due to this condition. But I found upon examination that it had not corrected the collapsed organ, nor removed cysts. At this point, I toyed with the idea of an operation, but decided that as the condition was not dangerous to life, I would first try every other resource. My own prayers having been insufficient, I requested help from a distant prayer group and from my friends at home. With this additional help, I began to perceive, as I prayed for healing, a drawing up sensation and a distinct vibration and warmth in the lower abdomen. Moreover, my increased vigor and relief from pain indicated that a process of rebuilding was taking place. After some time, I went back to my doctor for an examination in order to find out what had taken place. He was rather cross. I told you to come here twice a week for treatments, he scolded, and I haven't seen you for a year. Well, I've been busy. You look good, he admitted in a cold, suspicious voice. What have you been doing? I haven't seen any other doctor, I evaded. You've certainly been doing something, he insisted when he made his examination. You're a hundred percent better. What have you been doing? I tried to tell him, but was obliged to desist when he began to exhibit symptoms of apoplexy. He had seen the results of a daily prayer for health, assisted by the prayers of others, but he could not understand. He was so accustomed to dealing with the envelope of flesh that he could not see the body through the x-ray machine of the spiritual eye. If I had given up on finding that my own prayers were not enough, this gentle and gradual healing would not have been finished. Many a healing is not finished simply because the one who prays does not hold his faith long enough. And in most cases, I find that it is necessary to maintain faith, because the healing takes place gradually. However, in the follow-up prayers, one may pray with thanksgiving rather than with pleading. Thank you, Lord, we may say. Your power is working in this person toward a perfect healing. Continue, therefore, to use my faith as a channel of power until the healing is completely accomplished. One may then renew in his mind the picture of the person completely well and try to keep that picture bright and clear until it has become reality. However, in the case of accidents to myself, I remind myself of my real being as a child of God and His light that shines in me continually. As we do this, something shifts within us almost as rapidly as a car shifts into high gear we leap immediately to a spiritual platform of peace and safety for instance i once slammed a very heavy door upon my finger turning it black if i had said damn and had fought the sickening pain the finger would have continued to hurt But being very conscious at the time of my own power and authority as a child of God, I held my finger up before Him and blessed the pain therein, congratulating it as one of His healing agencies. The pain ceased instantly, as if I had somehow shifted my sensations over into the spiritual kingdom where there is no pain. How it came to pass, I do not know, but a tiny hole appeared at the base of the mashed nail and all the black blood seeped out of it. The nail resumed its normal color and kept it, suffering no ill effects whatsoever. Being a speedy and casual cook, I have made it many a time, spilled boiling fat on my hands while officiating over the stove. If I do not lose my temper, The hand is not burned. One's reaction to boiling oil is exceedingly speedy, and if one gives way to temper first and allows it to burn, it is too late then to remove the burn by prayer, for by that time we are delivered to the judge of our own inner consciousness, which in faithful obedience to the thought suggestion of fear and wrath has directed the hand to burn. Agree with thine adversary quickly, said that most profound of psychiatrists, knowing the tremendous power of the first thought suggestion sent down into the body. It is unnecessary to stop frying potatoes and pray. We have already prayed for the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. Let us then act upon it, assuming that the dominion that is ours as children of light and assuming it in any simple words that come to mind. My own thoughts at such times would be quite unacceptable in any book of prayers, for I am am apt to meditate in kitchen language. I'm boss inside of me, I'm apt to think, and what I say goes. I say that my skin shall not be affected by that boiling fat, and that's all there is to it. I see my skin well, perfect and whole, and I see it's to be so. But that's not prayer at all, one may object. No, I have already been charged that day with the power of God's indwelling life, so it is not necessary to ask for it again. I am assuming it and acting upon it, and my remarks are the following up of prayer, inadequately expressed by a busy woman who must cook clean, wash, iron, raise children, and befriend a parish, and cannot be on her knees all day. All thoughts of power, conscious or unconscious, are the follow-up of prayer, the rounding out of our prayer work in our lives. The woman who thus controls a finger that has encountered boiling oil does so in the sure knowledge and feeling of God's power within. My son, in the Navy officer's training program at the time, once expressed his method in an even less churchly manner. I had a terrible sore throat and chills and fever, he said, but I wasn't going to go to the sick bay and take castor oil like the rest of the guys, and that's all there was to it. So I remembered the way you do things, Mom, and I didn't do it exactly that way, but I just made up my mind. To hell with this. And I went on to classes and drill and football practice, and it got all right. This form of meditation is not recommended, but the Holy Spirit, who as a very holy man once said, has a sacred and subtle sense of humor, could not have been displeased at the young man's remarks, for the cold disappeared. Perhaps he who knoweth our frame remembered that the boy was in the Navy. As our prayers, our mental training, and our acts of forgiveness fuse into a high consciousness of God's indwelling, we become more and more aware of an inner source of power that can be tapped at will. We also become more and more aware of an outer source of power, a protecting and guiding influence that surrounds our day's work with blessings and guides us into paths of peace. As Gerald Heard once said, God is both transcendent and imminent, and His imminence is the key to His transcendence. In other words, God's light shines both within us and without us, and by learning to receive Him within, we begin to perceive Him without. This being so, let us gladly seek Him without as well as within. As we fill our beings morning after morning with His light, let us also fill our days with His overruling guidance and help and protection. Let us give thanks that His power is working not only in us, but also in the world outside of us. Let us bless the day through which we are about to walk and lift it up into the light of His love let us invoke his blessing on everything that we intend to do during the coming day, as many Jews bless each step in the baking of their bread. And if we do not know what we should do that day, let us offer it to him, asking him to use it according to his will. Sometimes he has his own plan for the day, and for that reason we have been unable to make one. On days that we have given him, we must be particularly quick to hear and heed His voice, lest we miss the very opportunities that He is sending us. For the Holy Spirit that spake through the prophets speaks through both us and to us today, in the kindliest possible manner, and we need only still ourselves to feel His presence. I once made the above statement to the children of a daily vacation Bible school. A small friend of mine, being very wise, rushed home and tried it immediately in order to find out whether or not it was true. "'Don't bother me, mother,' said he. "'I'm going up in the attic and try one of Mrs. Sanford's experiments.' The mother, knowing her offspring, awaited his return in some trepidation. "'Well, it worked,' he announced cheerfully, bounding down the stairs." Mrs. Sanford said if you thought about God a while, and then made sure you weren't mad with anybody, and then asked God to tell you something, he would. Sometimes you'd hear it like a little voice, and sometimes you'd just feel it. What did you ask him, Buddy? Well, you know, Mom, I did want to go swimming today. Oh, thought the mother, who had just nursed Buddy through measles. He's going to tell me God says he can go swimming. Now what am I supposed to do? So I asked him, continued Buddy serenely, and I heard him just as plain. He said, no, Buddy, not today. To think I would doubt him after all he's done for me, said Buddy's mother on telling me the story of his conversation with God. But Buddy's such a tough young one. I never thought God would talk to him. We are continually amazed and delighted that God will talk to us, that he loves us, that the guiding intelligence of the universe really cares for our small concerns. His lavishness overwhelms us and his humility humbles us. For as nothing is too great for him, so nothing is too small. Every day of my life proves this to be an actual fact. For on the days when I am in harmony with God, who is love, all things, both great and small, seem to work together for my good. My work is done easily and with power, and my decisions are quick and unerring. Everything clicks, in other words. But when I fall into annoyance and irritation, nothing clicks. I work slowly, make careless decisions, and waste time generally. In all these tiny ways, I find that a meditation which began for the purpose of healing had become really a prayer for at one with God, or harmony. By daring to try God and see whether His promises are true, I have regained a measure of that instinctive faith of the very young or the very simple. There is a story, told to me as truth, that so beautifully illustrates God's encircling protection that I shall relate it, although I cannot prove its verity as I can prove the verity of the other stories in this book. In the First World War, there was an English woman whose son was a pilot in the RAF. This mother became greatly afflicted by a recurrent nightmare. She dreamed that she was walking in a meadow bordered by poplar trees and sloping toward a little stream. It was a lush green meadow dotted with daffodils. As she walked among them, she heard the sound of planes. She looked up and saw them, an English plane and a German plane. She watched a battle between them. The English plane crashed to the earth and burst into flames. She ran up to it and dragged out the charred body of her son. Such was the nightmare, from which she would awaken drenched with sweat and in an agony of fear. Again and again she was tormented with this dreadful dream, till all her waking thoughts were heavy with the fear of it. At last, fearing that she would lose her mind, she sought help from a psychiatrist. I will tell you what to do, he said. Think about the highest thing you know. If you are a Christian, think about God. I think I'm a Christian, answered the woman. Then think about God. Think of him as light and love and protection. Then think of your son and see him at his very happiest and healthiest and best. The woman trained her thoughts moment by moment to follow this pattern of thinking. So the light and the love of God became real to her, and in that light and love she placed her son. As she so reordered her thinking, the nightmare came to her less frequently and with less horror. Gradually, her daytime fears decreased. She noticed, moreover, a changed feeling toward her son. She had always loved him, but now she loved him more than ever. She forgot the little things in him that worried her, and dwelt joyfully upon his best and happiest characteristics. Finally, she ceased entirely to dream about the lush green meadow in the airplanes, and put the whole matter behind her. Some months later, she was at a house party in the south of England, and went for a walk in a meadow, Suddenly, she looked about her with a start of amazement, for it was the meadow of her dream. There were the poplar trees and the little stream, and there were daffodils in the grass, for it was spring. Almost immediately, she heard the sound of planes. She looked up and saw them, an English plane and a German plane. She watched a dogfight. One of the planes fell and crashed into the meadow but it did not burst into flames. Out of it stepped a young man, perfectly unharmed. He ran up to her, his face radiant. "'Mother!' he cried. "'The most wonderful thing has happened. "'I knew I was falling, and I wasn't a bit afraid. "'And on the way down, something in me seemed to wake up. "'I just felt different.' The reader may reject this story if he likes. I cannot prove it any more than I can prove the chariots of fire about Elisha, the pillars of cloud that led the Israelites across the wilderness, the vision of Joseph that bade him take the young child and his mother and flee into the land of Egypt. But I thank God that I am able to believe all of these beautiful and thrilling stories of a God who gives his angels charge over us, to keep us in all our ways. But one thing in this story is plain and clear to me. The mother lifted herself out of her fear by surrounding the one she loved with God's light and life. In doing so, she not only overcame her fear, but she also made it possible for a guiding providence to protect her son from a death that would otherwise have been inevitable. This, thank God, I can believe, for I have helped to do the same thing for many a boy in danger. But isn't it selfish to pray for the protection of your own, some people ask? Some boys have to be killed. This is a foolish question. It is as if a mother said, isn't it selfish for me to feed my baby because some babies have to starve? But where are we to begin if we don't begin with those that God has especially given us to protect and pray for? Let us then begin where we are, praying for the protection of our own and trusting the transcendent God to weave these prayers together in his own time and his own way towards the protection of us all. But if everybody prayed like that, how could we ever have a war, some people ask? The answer to that is simple. We couldn't. Those who seek God for the protection of their own are not working selfishly. They are among the makers of the coming peace. They are beating a path through the wilderness of life toward the kingdom of heaven. And this straight and narrow path shall one day be the broad highway of all humanity. Note. After this book was published, a letter from England definitely confirmed this story.